Hi, I'm Phoebe Lovett, and this is Deep Read, a podcast where I have conversations with big thinkers about big ideas. Every episode is accompanied by a further reading list, which you can find at phoebe.substack.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please like, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Thank you for listening. My guest today is the photographer Shaniqua Jarvis. Shaniqua is one of those friends I've known for so long that I can't quite remember when we first met, but suffice to say, it was a while back. Over the years, it's been a pleasure to watch Shaniqua gain recognition as a prolific and highly regarded image maker, whose subjects include Cardi B, David Byrne, Erica Badu, and former President Barack Obama in the past few years alone. Even though we've known each other for so long, this conversation was the first time I've really had the opportunity to dig deep and ask her about her upbringing as a native New Yorker, her experiences navigating the white male-dominated photography industry as a black woman, and her philosophy on building a creative career that goes the distance. I hope you enjoy it. Happy New Year, Shaniqua. Although we were just saying off mic that your personal new year is the beginning of spring. And that's actually when I usually celebrate a new year, like first day of spring. It just feels much it's more realistic. Realistic. Yeah, that's like, great. You know, it's just like cold. Everywhere in the world is cold. Are you in LA? I am in LA. Even LA is cold. LA is so cold. Like not compared to this shit no it's about to get down into the 30s in the evening that's cold that's the thing about LA that like I didn't realize till I lived there is at night it's like you're in a desert you're it's fucking freezing it's freezing it's freezing. nowhere's insulated nowhere every everybody's house is made of like paper mache literally so... I I've said a million times, probably even on this podcast, the coldest I've ever been in my life was the first winter I lived in LA and I was a dumb, a dumb 25 year old and it didn't even occur to me to like buy like a space heater. So I just used to shiver. <laughs> so cold. My house I was mean, so cold. It was insane. Cold you feel in your bones. Yes. Yes. I think, see, I always say that about London. I'm always like, no, there's no, there's no way to describe the true meaning of cold and then I'm like no London any time of the year that's cold so how long have you been living in LA now um I've been here for a year and a half now oh I thought it was longer no we I mean we got um we got our house and then we worked on it for a bit and then so I think in some respects that feels like but not that much longer you know it's been like two years so what was the final what was the final straw on the east coast what 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 aspect of it could you not tolerate I just decided you know it was time for me to circle back it was circle back that you know like I lived here um when I was in my 30s and then I moved to London um Mm. when I met you 100 years ago and then I was just working a lot here and it felt it felt like the right thing to do. And also um, Raj, my husband, really, really wanted to move here. Like we've been talking about it, like our whole relationship. And I was always like, no, 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 no. And then like just timing, it just felt right. And it's been great. 
it's been really what was good. your what was your uh reluctance about I had a really shit time the first time round. It mm-hmm. was like uh LA was still on its, you know, petty bullshit. It was still living its most separate and not equal life. Um a lot of the power was based in, you know, what the what the Hollywood was doing, you know? And I think that now it's a little bit more diverse in all of it. Like, you know, that's not the only source of mm. um, of anything. You know what I mean? Like Hollywood was mm. like it. It was like everything. If that stopped, everything else stopped. And I think now it's a little bit more diverse with other uh, other forms of business, like really penetrating like the the movement and the vibe here sorry i don't mm. need to use the word vibe but it really like that's like the only it was thing very I hard can... to not use the word vibe when you're oh, talking about la i mean yeah i was like what? it's like, like the genesis of the word vibe is la surely yeah i was like digging in my brain i was like what's another word but it is it is the word vibe that makes sense here you know yeah and i, I, I presume a lot more of your friends live there now given that someone once told, described it as a retirement home for hipsters to me. And I was like, yeah, that's right. Correct. Now I'm ready to to have my quiet years. Yeah. I think, I think it's great for anyone who's over 37, maybe has a partner, maybe has a family. Yeah. I think it's just easier. You throw your kids in the car, you go over the fuck you want to go, you eat fresh food. Yeah, the kid goes to like forest school, you know, shit like that. <laughs> that makes the world. How do you find it on? Do you find it? I think when I, you know, as I said, when I moved, there, I was really young, too young to appreciate the city for the kind of its advantages. But I, but I also f- realized quite quickly that I just didn't, I didn't find it stimulating enough to feel creative there, which I know is not true for a lot mm. of people. How do you, how do you find it creatively? Um. I think I've always been really interested in LA as a creative. I think the light here I've always been drawn to. Mm. Um, And I think in the past few years, it's changed a lot. It's changed in a sense where like it used to always just be sunny. It's always sunny. It's always sunny. And I think that I've seen a different pattern. Like there's a different weather pattern happening here. Like, I feel like we we actually have seasons now, you know, before we didn't. And, um, yeah, I think the light is influential, of course, in my work, but it's it also fucks with my mood, of, oh, right? I'm seeing it. You know why I've got this bright light on my face? Because I'm sitting in front of a sad lamp. <laughs> I assume so. I assume because I was like, the time it is in London right now, it's dark, it's bleak, it's like it's, it's dark lamp. out. That's what's happening. That's where I'm at with right. that. Anyway, sorry to interrupt right. you. Please. <laughs> but but I've I've found that like even when it's like rainy and gray here, it there's a special feeling that I get from it, and maybe it's reminiscent of. And as much as we joke about London's gray, I really found that light inspirational too. So, mm. um, yeah. Okay, the lights one aspect, and then I think. Um, 
I think also being isolated at times is inspiring mm. because then I get to mm-hmm. really clock into whatever I'm working on. The distractions yeah. are only, they're like man-made here. Do you know what I mean? Like, where you like, have to go out your way to be distracted in LA. Yes. And I think that I've really put a lot of emphasis on, okay, like you're going to work on these three projects and they're going to take you a few years to do them. And it's like the best home base to be in to do it. Mm, mm-hmm. I feel really good about like, I feel really good about it. And then also our house is inspirational too. We, we did, mm. I think we did a good job on it. It feels very us. Got a nice view. Yeah. We got to see some mountains. We got to see some, mm. a lot of green. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting what you said about uh, the weather pattern changing there, which maybe brings a little bit of di- much needed sort of like diversity to the pattern of the year. Because that was another thing that I found like, yeah, of course, now I don't live in LA. I'm like, God damn, I, I would die for that weather. But when I did live there, I found it put me into a sort of trance almost of just like, <laughs> you you yeah. want you want you want it to be switched up. And then on the flip side, I totally understand what you're saying about there is something about this like flat grayness in London that kind of puts you in an almost meditative headspace, which is really conducive to getting shit done, which on the converse, when I was in LA, I always, you know, as someone who loves sunlight, I, every day I was, it was a fight to not go out, just stay outside all day long, you know, (laughs) and just be like, yeah chilling in the sunshine which obviously a lot of people are doing a lot of people are doing over there so you know of people are doing you're not going to feel weird for chilling on a tuesday afternoon outside a coffee shop because (laughs) that's what everyone's doing not at all yeah i mean i think i think i did have this like really uh new york take on la for a while where i was like yeah if you go to new if you go to la you can get work done because no one's working but like right. literally everyone's working, everyone has a hustle, but they're just yeah. being really secretive and private about it, you know? Yeah. And doing it and in their so, homes so you don't see it. Exactly. And and not many people are coffee shop working. You know, there's a few, I think, people who are like, I want a change of scenery and I want to, you know, do something different. But like literally everyone's grinding on something here. Well, you kind of have to now because it's so expensive. That was the other thing about when I lived there. It was cheap as shit, and now it's bonkers. No, it is not. It is like... It's not? No, no, it's expensive. It's expensive. Yeah. It's ex- No. I mean, I think that people tried. I think during COVID, people moved to these, like, random-ass places. <laughs> and now, <laughs> like, this year, it feels like everyone who's moved, wherever they moved, are, like, actually... Um, I think I'm moving back to LA because I think right. that it is really hard to be that separate, to be that far out that you're like, wait, like I do thrive on connecting with people, random run-ins, yeah. fucking, yeah. you know, just, I think people, I think we as humans, we really do need that. We need that personal touch. We need that feel. And I think people who thought we were going to be living in that way forever you know they're wrong they're like seeing it on fucking whatever social media thing that they follow they're like mm. people are joining up in groups and having a good time and making work together and you know mm. so i think i think that everyone's like it's the big machine or nothing 
I mean, I couldn't, I, I couldn't relate. I would never want to live somewhere like rural and isolated. I would, I know that I would lose my mind. Like I said, even LA was kind of like too much for me, although I think now I could handle it again. But, um, but you grew up on in, you're from New York, born and raised, right? Born and raised in New York. York. Um, you know, I always give everyone a shit time and they're like, I'm a New Yorker. And I'm always like, okay, well, that's great. What high school did you go to? Like, maybe we went to the same. And they're like, actually, I went to high school in like Asheville, North Carolina. And I'm like, okay, so then that means you're from Asheville. And they're from like, Asheville, right? And they're like, no, well, I've lived in New York for like 13 years. And I'm like, yes. Yeah, people sure. tell themselves they're a New Yorker because they've done a decade there. But yeah, you're a, you're a real. I think, I, I think that some people who are natives will let it slide, but most of us are kind of like, you know, like I would never be like, yeah, I'm from, I'm from like LA and London because I lived in both of those places during mm. my formative years. So fuck mm. no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I always say rep where you're from because that's who you are. And the minute you start to pull that away from yourself, like you start going into these other weird spaces and it's like, there's nothing wrong with being from anywhere. Like just roughly from. What, what part of New York did you grow up in? The Upper West Side, which I'm mm. always repping. I'm like, the Upper West Side's the best. And people are like, you're lame. That's not Soho. And it's not, you know, all these other places. But I think it was the most magical place to be from. It seems like it's also one of the few parts of New York that still managed to maintain a sort of, I mean, I don't know the Upper West Side super well, but like it hasn't perhaps transformed quite as much as other parts of New York. I don't know. You could speak on that a lot better than I could. It has, it feels a little bit like preserved in aspect a little bit when you go to the Upper West Side, certain parts of it. I think certain parts, I think when I was growing up there um, in the eighties, when I was a young kid, uh, I think, there are a lot of there are a lot more mom and pop shops, mm. right? Like there were so many, and then you know that kind of gave way over to like, I think when I moved out in my thirties, it was like, you know, a Whole Foods was taking over mm. on my corner where there was like, you know, decades back it was like a diner, but then before mm. it was a diner, it was um, I think it was this place called McCall's, which was like a jazz club and like. I was reading, um, oh my God, I'm forgetting her name, her last name, Jessica something. She wrote a book called um, My, Soul Look, My Soul Looks Back. And it was on um, like kind of like her relationship with all of these different black intellectuals. And they all used to go to the Upper West Side and like hang out and they would go to McCall's. And I was just like reading a bunch of Upper West Side history, but through her lens. And I was like, oh shit, that's right. And then like, I had a flashback to like my mom taking me to Sunday brunch there to listen mm. to jazz and like not that I liked it at all and I'm sure I was like an asshole kicking being like we go home but I was like oh this the Upper West Side has gone through these different iterations of like black academia and then also just like a mixture of everything else you know and mm. I didn't know like I was kind of like why did my mom move up there like why did she move from She's originally from Queens. I think we lived in Brooklyn, Brooklyn Heights for like two years or something. And then we moved to the Upper West Side. And I was always like, why here? Mm. Like, why? 
And then I realized it was like, there are better schools. I could go to public school. It was, it's like a whole thing. And yeah, at the West Side. So. I mean, that's like the idea of growing up in New York in the 80s. Just, it sounds very iconic for obvious reasons. New York's an iconic yeah. city and particularly sort of pre the Giuliani Bloomberg cleanup, you know, like where it became so corporatized and commercial and I mean I love New York as you know but it, it, it every time I go there now I'm like okay it's a little bit it's a little bit more like a mega mall yeah as again so many cities are how do you feel about New York now like versus the New York you grew up in um I feel like the New York now is Boston and I say it all the time I'm always like I'm always <laughs> you like, can oh say that God. because you're in New York I can say it and, you know, some people are, like, quietly, they're like, or maybe people will be like, okay, no, Brooklyn is more Boston than the entire, you know. But I feel like it's gotten, a lot of people have gotten pushed out. A lot of the politics have been, you know, to really displace and fuck with black and brown people who live yeah. in New York, you know. And so, like you know, then you rinse it through the washing machine and it comes out Boston. And when I hear people mm. talking about how much they love New York and how great it is, and I'm always like, well, why is it great? It's kind of like when people go to Portland and they're like, it's so beautiful and clean here. And then you're like, but it's missing an element. It's missing. Mm. It's missing a whole grip of people that mm. you don't see. You see any black and brown people, you know, and and I think that's the one thing that I hate seeing my city go through and it, it or my mm -hmm. hometown about my city anymore. Um, hasn't been for a while. And I just think, I just think that that's the part that's heartbreaking to me, you know, mm -hmm. and, and I look at the different systems like, you know, um, rent stabilized, Mitchell Lama, like I grew up on that, like where we lived, our building was a rent stabilized Mitchell Lama mm -hmm. building. And the building was like super diverse and crazy. And you had people who didn't need to be in that scenario anymore, but they were able to like, you know, do all these incredible things because they're not paying a shitload of money and for rent. And, mm -hmm. you know, some of those people still live in that building because, you know, I have friends that I grew up with and like their parents still live there or they've moved into their parents' building, their parents' apartment. Um, and everything's different, you know, like for instance, when yeah. I moved out of my apartment, I think the rent went up eight times and wow. then they changed it into like, they made it into like a smaller three bedroom weird, uh, apartment, but yeah, the person was paying eight times what I paid to live there. In and one, in one swoop, it just went, that's insane. Yeah. yeah. I mean... And it's the same building. Like, there's nothing. It's like they didn't change anything, you know, but the location of it, the, mm -hmm. you know, all that stuff. It yeah. I mean, the, this actually came up on in an interview I did earlier today because I think it's just such a, um, obviously, you know, sort of like this, like, Western housing crisis is um, something that I think like we'll only really see the implications of this in a decade or so, because 
I guess if you were working creative industries and like, you know, I wouldn't say London or New York or LA or any of these cities I've lived in ever felt particularly cheap, but they were doable and you could, you could start a creative career in any of the above. I mean, New York's always been a little bit nuts, but like I moved to LA specifically because it was an affordable place to live. Um, you know, I mean, I always laugh, like I paid nine, $900 a month rent to have a one bedroom in Silver Lake when I moved to LA and it was only like a, a little bit more than a decade ago it wasn't that long ago you know yeah. I it makes me a little anxious to think about what what the implications will be for these major creative hubs when young people can't afford to come to them and as you say like have that really important like cross-pollination of meeting other people working together like what yeah. are the long-term ramifications of that I mean I think I think as I've spoken to a few young homies and I think that they like the way that I hear them talk about how they live, it's like similar to us, but maybe there's just more of them in a place, you know, they'll right. get like a larger spot and they'll like pump it with, you know, a few more people. And um, I think that they're still, I think everyone has this thing. If, if you want, to make it happen you'll figure out a way to make it work mm -hmm. right and I think mm -hmm. and I think I look at a lot of people and I'm oftentimes I'm like well, how the fuck can you afford this like I can barely afford mm -hmm. it and how are you here like wearing the clothes doing the do living in the neighborhoods like and then I'm like oh right you have really rich parents right like, <laughs> it's I'm always like, the answer <laughs> literally always. always yeah and and then that that part is the thing that also is scary because then you're, you know, you're looking at just like it becomes this class thing where mm -hmm. you only have these young, rich artists coming in and like making stuff and then like the yeah. stories that are being told. It's like, you know, it, it does become, you know, becomes shit, it becomes this yeah. one thing, you know, it's like, but I, I do have, I do have hope that kids are going to figure it out on the flip side I guess that it, it there's a lower barrier to entry when it comes to putting your work out there at least so I mean I don't know I, I've only known you as a photographer but I assume you've had other jobs in your life is that true or no I've had so many jobs but they were all under the umbrella of photography okay so you did you when you started out were you like for did photography feel viable to you was that like no. the goal or <laughs> I mean no, nothing felt viable <laughs> because I had a, a student loan to pay back and Yikes. yeah and I was like wait how do, I, how do I live like it was very very confusing for a very long time I think I did I did all of these different things, you know, like I taught photography, I taught, um, I worked as like a, a printer, like a master printer at a lab. I, mm. I worked as a photo editor. I just did all these different things to like make sure that I could pay the bills and it, it barely did. And I, I, I mm. like friends always like to remind me and I'm, I laugh at it too, that like, I used to like sell some of my photos that I'd like printed at Parsons, like on West Broadway and like Prince Street, like on the corner. 
just because mm. I was like, or, or like create like my own photo shows at bars that my friends owned so that I could just like make rent. Like, I think I've always mm-hmm. had this, like, I'm just going to do whatever I can do to make things happen. Because when I was starting out, you know, this is in like the early 2000s, like nobody was trying to hire a black woman to photograph anything, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and it was becoming like, well, you'd be the first you know, even mm-hmm. now in my big old age, there's some people I work with and I know, I know for a fact, I'm like the first black woman to have worked with them. And it's really crazy, mm-hmm. you know, and that was one of the things when I first was signing up to go to Parsons and my mom was like, are you sure that this is what you want to do? And I was like, mm-hmm. you know, when you're young, you just, you don't give a shit and you can only see this thing in front of you that you desire so much. And I was like, mom I got this don't worry Mm. and she was like but you know that the industry you're stepping into is literally only old white dudes Mm. you know and 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 at the time I remember my mom having this conversation with me and I was like oh she's talking she's crazy she doesn't know what she's talking about she doesn't know you know and then like a few years later I was like she had a point she had a point. She had a point, and she also knew me. She knew how sensitive and ridiculous that I was at that time. Like a Pisces, even more a Pisces girl. I'm a Pisces. Mm-hmm. She's like she feels everything. She'll 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 just collapse. And I think a large part of me, like taking all those jobs and doing all those things, was also because she was like. I paid for your first school, your first college, and you're doing this. Like, you really want to do it? Like, go at it on your own. And I think she mm-hmm. also knew, like, it's gonna be, it's gonna be heavy. Photos heavy back then. You were paying for, you know, all of your supplies and photography expenses are expensive. Right. I mean, that's kind of you know? what I think. That's a more eloquent way of putting what I was trying to say. Is that I'm not. I'm not, definitely not saying that anyone with an iPhone is a photographer, but I guess you've at least got tools available to you. I, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel about it. I, in so many ways, it must be a strange t- era to be a photographer in because everyone sort of thinks that they're an image maker, and to mm. some extent, anyone with a social media account is an image maker, but they're not one yeah. with necessarily with a perspective. Um, I, to go back, yeah. Sorry, go on. I would be interested to get your thoughts on that because. It's like right. we I mean I've got fifty thousand photos in my camera roll. <laughs> you know? For sure, for sure. I mean, I I I feel like I love the fact that everyone can take photos. Having that be out there and able for everyone to do, I think is fucking incredible and necessary. Mm-hmm. And like that mm-hmm. there are a lot of stories that aren't told and aren't shared because people don't have the tools and like like there's a project I'm working on now that I'm strictly only using my iPhone with. Oh, know? interesting. And it's like, and it's just, it's just, it's, I think there's something about having any type, like you can use anything to document mm. things and like any kind of phone, like not just, I want to say just an iPhone, but Samsung, all of these different like companies that have come out and made like it more accessible. I actually think it's great. I don't think that it fucks with, the art of photography I don't think it fucks with what I do like more people in it just means that there's more like competition 
but like mm-hmm. I don't I don't know I I don't think that that's a bad thing I think that that's I think it's great I mean I do think that making a career out of it versus a hobby like setting the different like I don't know I think that there's something about everyone who thinks that like they're a professional mm-hmm. when really like they're a hobbyist or um I think that you can do that and other things. Like, I think some people are like, Mm. I'm just going to give up my whole life to do this. And I'm always like, well, it's a pretty long and crazy road and it changes and it shapeshifts and you really have to love it. You know, always when I'm talking Mm. to younger um, aspiring photographers, I'm always like, yo, or not even say younger, I should just say aspiring photographers. I'm always like, you have to love it and you have to love that Mm. it's like, most of photography the business of it is not just like taking photos it's so much more and you have to love that aspect as much as you love take pressing what what, what are you referring to when you say that the other aspects the business side it's just the business side it's the you know the the art of being a business person you know like Mm. i mean there's it's like an eight hour conversation oh my god (laughs) it's it's a lot, but I th- I think that like you know just like the basic shit of like marketing yourself, bookkeeping, um, mm. how you are on a job, how you deal with clients, how you know and that's like the commercial side. But if you go into like the fine art side, it's like how you meet curators, how you you know work on your personal work, how you work on projects. Like there's so many mm. different variables that go into making the work, raising mm. the money to actually do the projects, like what kind of jobs you have to do in order to make the money or grant writing. Like there's just so many different levels. And so sometimes I always say to people like being a hobbyist might be more beneficial and like filling for your soul versus being a business person within photography. Well, you've had a phenomenal few years I mean it's beautiful to see as uh, you know someone who's known you for a long time like it's really wonderful to see someone get their flowers when you know they've been working their ass off for a really really long time um yeah. but I'm I'm interested like and when did you start to feel like good I mean maybe you never felt bad about it I don't want to put words in your mouth but when did you start to feel good about the choice that you'd made all those years ago to like really pursue this thing like when did you start to feel like it had landed? I don't know if it's landed yet. Really? Come on, give me some little bit of credit. I feel like um I mean I think I am hard on myself and I don't I think because every year I'm like, oh, there's there's always been this thing, these other things that I've wanted to do, and I think maybe just in this year I felt comfortable and this year has been like four days, right? So just in this year. You mean literally this year? Literally this year. Literally in the last four days, I'm like, okay, it's fine. In the last four days. I feel like um, I feel confident enough to explore these things that have been in, like, my little journals for the past, like, 20 years or something. Like, I feel like I have enough. I feel like I have all the right things around me in order to make the work that I want to make. 
that makes any sense. So you don't you don't feel that you've made the work you want to make yet at all? I feel like everything I've done up until this point has been leading me into right. where I want to go. I feel like uh-huh. I, I, I've loved all of the things that I've done. I love all of like portraiture work and it's just more of like the personal projects I should say yeah like I think like my commercial work you've done a lot of amazing personal work like I was that was one of my questions I was going to ask you about is obviously you've had a bit of a great few commercial years um you know with the like the editorial and the brand or whatever but I've always like known your your personal work which is beautiful and like it seems like you've been you've really maintained a commitment to it like putting on shows and making books and like I know that that shit's not easy what what like how do you separate those two things in your mind and what what would you say is like how do you think about your personal work as a photographer well I feel like I do a lot of looking back to go forward and I think Mm. that I like I think I, I I love to circle back on myself I think that I've written down all of the keys and all the things that I've wanted. And I think when I go back to those books, you know, and I'm talking from like, you know, 24 years ago, I can go back to a journal and look at it and be like, you wrote out everything that you wanted to do and everything that you wanted to say. And Mm -hmm. you kind of have to honor what younger Shaniqua wanted because she could see more than you can see now, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. also why I always tell people to journal because it's like, Right now, I have to think about, like, mortgage and, like, old age and, like, will my back always hurt? Whereas when I when I was younger, I was like, okay, well, these are the things you want to do. These are the places you want to mm. These are the stories you want to tell. And there was no limit at all. There was no, like, your taxes or your personal yeah. relationship with this person. Like, there was none of that. So I think mm. when I go back, to look forward I'm always like oh shit right you always want to do this like you mm. derailed yourself but like you know it was set from birth this is what you were gonna do so every time mm. you went right instead of like staying on the track it always brought you back to this so mm. that's why I say like when I look back at stuff that I've done like yeah I love it but it hasn't been the thing that I wrote down in the book that I was supposed to be doing. I hate Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not like I, I'm like, oh that works shit. No, I think I've done great things and I've had like great supportive teams around me to help do it. It's just that now I'm like, okay, now you have to you have to get back to that other stuff. Yeah, no, that's a I'm re- that's really interesting to hear because I also have been writing down things for years and sometimes maybe I'm more at a midway point, but sometimes I look at the old goals I had for myself and I don't really relate to them, but I can't figure out if it is exactly what you've said that I've just sort of had, you know, abandoned them because other shit has gotten in the way, other priorities have gotten in the way. And maybe one day I'll go back to them as you're going back to yours and they'll make sense to me again. Like right now, not all of them do. Yeah. But then there's definitely others that I'm very aware, like, oh no, like that doesn't seem feasible now because this thing made you lose confidence or this bill needs to get paid. Like these aren't the limitations that, that you have on these goals are not reflective of like them not being true goals. They're just, it's just life is life in. Life can get you down, you know? Like even if you you're having a relatively 
good experience of it. I think it um, specifically if you have creative ambitions, specifically now in the world, it can be so easy to just dismiss your own your own dreams. Yes, and I oh, I was gonna say also, I think that because we're able to, everyone's able to see what everyone else is doing at all times. Mm. I think that that part also fucks everybody up because I think (laughs) (laughs) we make it like very simple. Um, I think that I have always been like, fuck that, that I was just about to. And then I realized like, you know, like a few years after that, like that it doesn't matter if someone else is working on the same thing as you, you don't need to abandon your thing. Sometimes if they're close enough to you, you can be like, can we I I was trying to do this too. Is there a way we can do it together? Or Mm. you can still do your thing because, you know, we're all same, but different. Right. So if someone, you know, is putting out a cookbook and you were going to put out a cookbook, like, you both can put out the fucking cookbooks. There's maybe there will be one or two recipes that are similar, but both of yeah. you are speaking to different things because you are different people. And I found within photography that, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that I think maybe I've wanted to say, and then someone like beat me to it. And I'm always mm-hmm. like, Fuck. but then that's also like, well, you know, if you still are interested in, this topic or this feeling or this thing or this lighting or whatever, like you can explore it, but like go about it in your own way. You know, Mm. I always, I always think about that when I see something and I'm like, Oh, that's lit very similarly to that other person's work or my worker. But I'm always like, but this is that person's take on it. And it's not always going to be the same. Like, even if you have somewhere in your brain that it is, it's like, no, you just have to go about it in your, way and that's why it's super important to you know know who you are I think that's like a really big like that's another thing I think I'm always like preaching to myself like you really just have to know who you are and that part of you you hold it for you and you share it within your art and you don't have like to have all these other people like in in like the making of that do you know what I mean like it's like yeah everyone can do everyone can do the same project like everyone can have the same assignment but everyone's going to come at it differently i think you know i'd say yeah that's um abundance mindset big la thinking and it's but it's Mm -hmm. a correct the philosophy is totally correct and you know i think it's one that especially now to survive as a creative professional you really have to embrace that because as you say you can see everything that everyone's doing there's no oblivion left like and it's so easy, especially with algorithmic feeds, to find shit that is like your shit, you know, yeah. whether you're a writer or a photographer or a filmmaker or a designer, you know, ideas bubble in the, in the atmosphere, right? And then we just kind of pull them down. So there's going to be overlap. And it, and it can be so easy. I've had exactly that thing where, like, I was going to write something or do something and then someone else does it. And I'm like, fuck, you know? Yeah. But you have to just get over yourself and be like, 
okay, I'm going to do it anyway. And it's funny that you, you mentioned that philosophy, not, not that you'd necessarily describe it as an abundant mindset, but that's how it sounds to me. Cause it was one of the questions I had for you. Like I was thinking about your Instagram handle, Sheik's wins always. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, is oh, that gosh. like a, no, but I was like, is it like an affirmation or something like, <laughs> cause you've had that handle forever, right? You've had it for so long. Ever. I, I mean, so. I, it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, I always laugh when I see it under like some insane like celebrities like photo <laughs> by Obama. Yeah, and I'm also like, <laughs> I just it makes me. I think it's like the one thing that still makes me laugh about social media and not taking it so seriously is yeah. that yeah, she swims always. I mean, to me that was because it's the opposite. Like I'd always be like. Wait, wait, like losing that job again or not being chosen for this thing or whatever and and I think for me not just that it was an, like this abundance mindset kind of ideology but it was more just like poking fun at myself really like I don't win all the time and I I well, I, I thought it was like a, I thought it was like a super confident New Yorker thing I was like no, okay fuck no like not at oh. all and I think, I think, I think because I, I know that I'm always like, oh God, another one bites the dust. I'm more, I think I'm more just like, I put that out there because it's a joke to me. It's like anyone else, I'm always like, I'm never winning. I'm never winning. But I, I think if I just leave it up there, it's like maybe one day it'll happen. (laughs) Well, I would say. Again, I know you're not you're not maybe a hundred percent comfortable in claiming it, but it it looks like, like it's, it's happening. happening. Well, yeah, yeah, and I and I know that it's sometimes obnoxious for people to sort of like comment on, you know, really that's an Instagram perception. If I'm being hundred percent real, I'm like you're working so yeah. much and you're shooting amazing people, and like, you know, who am I to assume that it necessarily feels like you're winning quote unquote from the inside but right equally I think it's so easy to forget when you're doing the work and I assume you've had a pretty busy last five six years like looks busy mm-hmm. you can lose track of yourself right and so sometimes it's good to have someone to be like you're killing it yeah you'd be like oh maybe I am yes I think uh, yes that is true I think that um okay yeah I am killing it that's true that's true she swims always, just saying. She swims always. She swims always. No, I think I think um it's good to have a bit of like honesty about you know, because I always see people trying to kill themselves to get to whatever level, you know, and I've I've had to say to some people that think I'm their same age, I'm like, I could be your mom. I'm like sixteen years older than you and like right. the way I come at things isn't like I have a chip on my shoulder or whatever. It's just like it's taken me a longer time because, you know, while you were still in like junior high, like people weren't, yeah. they weren't as accepting and as open, like, you know, and I've saved some of these emails that people have sent me that have said like really weird shit that I now see them like turning a corner and being more open right. because they have to be when they, right. when they were, you know, when they didn't have to be, they were you know, to me, they were showing their true selves. And Mm. I think that 
you know, when I'm talking to, you know, other photographers or artists and I'm just like, yeah, I just keep going because that's all I know to do. And I don't Mm. rely on any of this like bullshit because it's not real. Like this, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I just, I just feel like there's a lot of things that just aren't real and I'd rather focus on like whatever project I'm trying to do because Mm-hmm. As much as we think life is long, it's actually short. And when you get older, it gets, it goes quicker. I'm sure you, you're right. feeling that, you know, like when we were all yep. young, it was like, woo, it felt like forever. And when you get older, it's like, oh, another year passed. Oh, mm-hmm. I didn't do that. Oh, I didn't, you know, and so. Right. Yeah. The time, you know, the time you have to do all the, the things you write down in the journal when you were 20, you're like, you're like, oh, I better get on with some of these then. Yeah exactly like because, I was listening you know, to um Bradley Cooper talk about that movie he just made and he was like you know if I'm lucky I can make two or three more movies like this in my lifetime and I was like yeah that's real you know and he's probably in his what mid-40s or something I also listened to a great podcast with Arthur Arthur Jaffer mm-hmm. who was talking about how his career really didn't take off until he was 60 yeah and I was like damn like I wish there were more stories like this you know obviously like our culture and social media in particular so glorifies and platforms youth which is fine but it you know youth culture is incredibly important and like I'm not saying it should be bashed or whatever but I think particularly you know for people who have sort of like had ebbs and flows in their creative career to hear from people who are you know been up been down come out the other side it's so helpful because it's like like you say you sort of there's this expectation in culture now that's just like tick 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 upward trajectory and then you just stay at this perfect plateau of success and money but it's like it's not really like that for many people at all no it's not I mean and I think that that's why you know I've always thought about people who enter the scene and they're super young because I'm like well what what kind of career are you going to have? Because yeah, the industry loves to raise you up and then drop you and then maybe pick you back up again, maybe. Yeah. Um, but like, I'm always like very interested. I think that that's why it's like, for me, it's not necessarily like a jealousy thing. I'm always like, I'm just interested in people, right? So I'm very yeah. interested to see where some of these young talents are going to go because Mm. like oh well they open a door that I never even thought to knock on you know and so Mm. I'm more interested in seeing like where they go and 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 how they prosper and like and then what doors they open for other people as well Mm. you know and I mean I suppose like a really pertinent example of that is like what happened with Black Lives Matter and the wave of black creatives getting hired for you know like and on one level it was an amazing thing to see in 2020 and 2021 all my black creative friends like they were booked and busy but then it fell off I mean you know hopefully not to the level that it that it was at before but it for sure fell off and they've many of my friends have spoken to me about that and like it is just a very cruel cold example of like how quickly the, the machine will just pick you up when you're when you're like shit is trending for want of a, I mean, it's a tedious way to put it, but like when it's, when it's, um, when it's in their interest to do so yeah, and then just put you back down when, when it isn't. Yeah. I, I love thing, you know, bring back that white guilt money, you know, because it's like, 
bring back the white goat money. No, I, I think I, I've had way too many friends. We've talked about this. There's way too many businesses that I feel like got these beautiful cash injections and and opportunities, you know, and then yeah. like, then they were like, we've had enough of it. But it's it's not just within like the creative industries. I think it's it's everywhere. You know, if you look mm -hmm. at the backlash and what's happening within all of our political systems, it's like it was like overall, it was like oh, we are not fucking having this. We are shutting this all down. We're mm. actually going to go backward. So it's actually going to be even harder to do anything for anyone, <laughs> you know. And it's right. been. What can you in 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 the regard specifically of like working with black creatives or can you just elaborate a bit no, more on what mean, you mean by I that? I mean like I mean like I'm talking from like a political stance. I'm talking from like you know how we're trying to so I can how we not trying we are banning books. You know like how right. we are you know getting rid of fucking college presidents like it's just mm. there's just a lot of things that are happening in our time right now that you know I personally do feel like it's the backlash from mm. 2020 you know it's funny that you say that I actually had this quote that I um had like written down from um Susan Sontag writing about um like how I'll read it out because I'm going to paraphrase it badly um, she says something like a black cap, um, sorry, a capitalist society requ requires a culture based on image images. It needs to furnish vast amounts of entertainment in order to stimulate buying and anesthetize the injuries of class, race and sex. And then just jumping ahead a bit, she says, um, cameras define reality in the two ways essential to the workings of an advanced industrial society as a spectacle for masses and as an object of surveillance for rulers the production of images also furnishes a ruling ideology social change is replaced by a change in images the freedom to consume a polarity of images and goods is equated with freedom itself the narrowing of free political choice to free economic consumption requires the unlimited production and consumption of images Whew, that was a mouthful but I was like, when I actually digested it, I was like, that is such a profound thing. Like, I guess, I think from what I understand it, her point is like, images provide like a veneer of progress or like they can be used, they can be weaponized to, yeah. for example, with greater, much greater visibility of black creatives as one example. And then actually it just gives this illusion of progress behind the scenes. Things are kind of to your point, actually retracting, regressing. Yes. But because there's more imagery, people are like, oh, this is, no, we're, we're making progress. Yes. And I also think that for a while it was, you know, you had a mixture of black and brown bodies on set, right? So you had right. people who were the photographer, the director, the set designer, the stylist, you know, they were all um, non-white, I should say. And yeah. then it became where they're like I think we've moved more into like there's black and brown people on set but they're just in front of the camera right, right? and you have more diversity in front of the camera and then behind it's kind of gone back like gone back yeah so uh, for instance like I think when talking to my assistants who work you know across the board with different uh photographers like 
I remember one of them being like, the white dudes are back, Shaniqua. And I was like, what do you mean? And they were just like, you know, we've gone from working with, you know, a diversity group, like this, like, you know, we we're calling it the diversity inclusion group. <laughs> and then <laughs> we've gone straight back to working with only white dudes. Mm. Like those are the people getting a bunch of the jobs and like, there's a few white women too. And, I was like, and then I started hearing that from, a few others a few others and then i was like right right and then looking at credits and looking at people and and being like oh shit right that was fast Mm. that was fast that was really fast it was really fast and and i think that there's also been a few a, a few times where i've seen where i was like oh this isn't like i don't even know if i should should go into one of these things but i did hear i was i was in a place where i overheard a few editors speaking once and i knew that the whole thing was going to be short-lived just because of how they were talking you know they didn't know that i maybe they didn't know who i was who i was and they didn't know Mm -hmm. you know but what they were saying was so wild you know and this is probably a year before I started to see the shift as well. And I was like, oh, mm. shit. Oh, shit. As in, they were like basically saying, we, we just they need to like, do this for optics. Yeah, we don't want to do mm. this. We don't want, like, why, why are we being forced to work with these people we don't want to work with? You know? And I was mm. like, oh, shit. You mm. know? That's and, crazy. Uh, it's crazy, but it's real. You know? It, it's, yeah. It's super real. And I think. I think it's had like a very, it's had an adverse effect on, you know, the creative community and like what we've been seeing, and you know, a lot of it is crap. So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, don't, I guess I could say, well, what do you think, you know, can be done, or what's next? But I don't know if there's a easy. There's a soundbite front, you know, like how do you distill the, the need for top-down systemic change across pretty much every factor of our, our society? I don't know. I don't necessarily want to put you on the spot with that question. Like, no, I mean, how I do we fix this? I don't know. I mean, because you know, we're seeing there's other things happening. You know, where you've got people mm-hmm. who are you know just calling for a ceasefire and people being like we're not working with you yeah you know? i mean like, that so yeah. so it's hard to to go into it's hard to go into the freedoms that we want and then also equating that with like you know this like diversity that can be within these systems that were only set up for white people to win in you know like it's hard mm-hmm. to like figure mm-hmm. out how you how you talk about that in a way where you've got like there's people who really love having different voices and different types of people working on their projects and don't care what a person looks like they just care what the output is you know there's a lot of those mm-hmm. people who are within the industry and I love working with them and I know other people who I love and love their work. They love working with those people, but there's, there are a grouping of people who just, they like the old systems and they just, they, they benefit from them and they, they have no problem with upholding Mm. them, you know? And so I, I, 
I don't know how you how you change someone's mind about um, the things that are wrong. I don't. I don't. I'm not necessarily sure. And that's also where no. I look. You know, that's where I look at like some other artists, and I'm like, oh, maybe maybe they have like maybe they have a different way. Like you know, some people starting their own foundations or some people mm. creating their own magazines or you know some people aligning with the right money and getting them to fund things like I don't yeah I don't necessarily know but I know that those are some of the things that can help you know yeah for sure I mean I think it, there are there are like I said there's no obviously there's no straightforward solutions or answers and I do feel like we're in this moment of you know um I mean it kind of sounds a bit like glib to say it because but like immense change and like the new the old systems have clearly become they don't serve us they don't serve anyone they were never serving a lot of people and they're like definitely not going to serve a lot of people moving forward the new systems are yet to emerge and that goes for everything from media you know to business to politics to everything everything so it's 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 an overwhelming time um, and I think it's made more overwhelming by the a lot of imagery, like you say, that we see every day on one level, it's imp- amazing and important, but on a, another level, it is, it's intense to like take in, I mean, you know, we all take in thousands and thousands of images every day and it's like, yeah, it's not for the old brain to process, you know, <clears throat> Wait, me one second. It? I'm just going to unplug my sad lamp because I've got to put my charger. <laughs> Give me one sec. Sorry. Sorry, I'm kind of, kind of, kind of in the dark now, but um, I don't want my laptop to die on me while I'm talking to you. Um, I was gonna just to go back to something uh, that you were saying earlier. Like I was just thinking about um, when you were saying that when you started out, like everyone who was succeeding or anyone who had any sort of like place in photography was an old white dude. Like, who were you looking at? Who were your references, your inspirations, or, you know, who were the artists or the photographers that were shaping Um, your perspective in your eye? Well, I think when I'm trying to think what year, I feel like it was maybe, like, my first year at Parsons, I was working, like, three random jobs. And one of the jobs was at this bookstore called the photographer's place. Um, it's on Mercer. It was on Mercer. I think it's now like an agent provocateur shop, but it was a tiny, tiny bookstore, a photography bookstore. And it had, mm. you know, like it was just an amazing place. Um, and I think one of the first books that reminded me that I had to keep going because Parsons was getting harder to like maintain financially Mm -hmm. and I think one of the books that I I grabbed and I actually you know got still have it is um Carrie Mae Weems it was like a I think it was um a catalog for a show that she had done and Mm. I remember looking at it and not and fully understanding that like a black woman had photographed this work and like I you know I like got into the book and just held on to it and 
I think it it was just like okay here's 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 someone and then I think again then seeing like Lorna Simpson's work those were my mm-hmm. two like reminders like there mm-hmm. are these women who came up in a harder time who have done these things who've gone about it in you know the ways that they have like keep going but I think yeah. like style wise I think I've always loved Bruce Davidson I've always mm-hmm. loved like uh the approach that he's taken I think the the things that have interest him you know I'm I, I was always like a big William Eggleston girl like I think I still am just in the way that he photographed things around him how he would take maybe like one or two frames of things like I think I've always been that kind of always been a bit more like photo documentary kind of human yeah um and then I think um as I got a little bit older, I think I was really into like Malik Saeed's like DP work, his use of light and color. Um, it's a, I, I think I've always had a mixture of like, you know, as much as the industry has been dominated by like old white dudes, I think I've always like, I've been down for yeah. them. Like I think uh, Mario Sorrenti, like also when I was younger, like, you know, seeing his fashion work, I, I also had a little stint at, um, a photo agency like working for them is like their I don't even know what my title was there but um and I, I remember being able to see a lot of photographers work and and really loving Mario's work I think it was like there was this magazine called Big and he did this mm. he had done this uh shoot I think it was all just like of like a high school maybe it could have been his I it, but I just remember seeing like these like images of nothing is what I was calling them. Mm. You know, they're like these still lives of moments, but it was more like the lighting. And I remember being like, you know, all of this is what I love. And this is like the kind of work I want to do and the personal work that I want to do. And, and yeah, the, all of that, all of those, the combination of all those guys kind of hit for me. Mm. I mean, some of those all white dudes are, they're all right with a camera. We'll give them yeah, that. <laughs> yeah, they did their thing. I think you know, it's and... funny how. Yeah, sorry, go on. No, no, I was just, I was just, I was trying to think if there were other, um, if there were other artists like back then that I was like. How about now? Who do you? Is there anyone you look to and who's making work now that you think is interesting? And not necessarily photography, just generally like people artists working today whose who's like perspectives you find interesting or inspiring oh god there's so many there's so many um there are so many artists work that I love and like and it's funny it's like I feel like I am a photographer's photographer like I just love photography you know yeah. like every like I went to um Arl for the first time last year and just was reinvigorated by the art of photography and like what it can do. And I fucking love that festival and hope it's, to show it's there. beautiful. It's so good. I, I went to it as well. And it, it's just the whole thing. Chef, chef's kids. Chef's kids. Like I was like. The town, like the set, the, the spaces. Yes. Did you go to the, the, the contemporary art museum there as yes. well? yeah amazing like yeah. I was like this is very nice yeah yes um, I will All return thank you yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like I will return every year 
Um, I think, I think even seeing like going to that, I think I was like, there were like artists work who I didn't know. And like, I was like, Oh shit. Like it was just, it was very inspiring, but um, Mm. I'm not going to say any names because I don't feel like it, but but no, but but in all fairness, there's like, there's a, there's a load of people's work that I'm very happy to see. And it's inspirational. And like, and also like the time I love people who spend like time on work yeah you know who's, yeah. who take like three years to do a project or five years ten years like i fucking love it it's great it's well i so think great. especially now where there's so much pressure to constantly be churning work out and i would imagine especially if you're an image maker because you've got this like immediate platform to share it i mean it even though I felt frustrated over the years that my work doesn't really translate super well to Instagram. Um, at the same time, I feel like for my friends who do do, who do make images, like they must feel a lot of pressure to just have a constant stream of work to share. Cause it's like sitting there waiting for your, your pics. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I definitely, think I've gone through different iterations with my Instagram where I'm like it's a portfolio it's a personal diary it's a portfolio it's a personal diary (laughs) to (laughs) like it's neither it's just this space that it's like me Instagram is more like a home shopping network now like all of us are selling stuff to each other and you know I'm purchasing for sure like something Link, like linkedin for millennials yeah yeah I did this. yeah you you made a scrunchie i buy it you, you made a towel i'll get it you made a bookshelf okay cool you know like um true. which is maybe the best maybe how we should have all been looking at it from the beginning but um yeah, we didn't get a, we didn't get a manual and we've been on it for a long time so no i think it's people, been serious I, I think we all have been selling to each other for a very long time on that platform i think mm. we all have been either selling like a lifestyle or beauty or um actual products we we yeah. all have been doing that we have all been acting like we're a brand and you know mm. or you know i mean some people are like i haven't been selling i just been a magazine or you know there's just like different yeah things but to me it's everyone's definitely been selling on there for sure just maybe with a different level of consciousness like i I would totally agree with you that you know we were all cultivating different brands from the from the start but now it it took me a while at least to realize that was what i was doing you know that i was creating this sort of like persona that i was that i was like pitching to people i'm reading that um i don't know if you've seen that naomi klein has this new book called doppelganger um, mm-hmm. which is like, it's it's about how she's, since the pandemic, she's been confused with it, the writer Naomi Wolf. And to be fair, I actually at times had confused them. Naomi Wolf wrote a book called The Beauty Myth in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Naomi Klein wrote um, No Logo. So they were both writing these sort of like anti-capitalist sort of, you know, books they were both around the same age they obviously both had the same first name and then during the pandemic Naomi Wolf became like a vocal you know like a sort of like QAnon type figure who was like 
very anti-vax and has all sort of yeah. like insane conspiracy theories and Naomi Wolf found herself getting conflated with her all the time and it obviously was like it's not what Naomi Wolf is about at all she's like you know she writes about the environment and da, da, da. anyway there's an f- interesting uh, chapter on how even she as someone who like made her name as you know a very like gen x anti-sellout anti-brand person like realized that when this started happening to her the reason it felt like an affront was because it was like not her brand you know and she had been cultivating a brand all along she you know like it was very offensive to her that people would think that this was what she was about because she's like no 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 my public persona is like very I don't know I mean it's it's a complex example but it did make me think to your point about the fact that like if you're participating in public life and social media you're you're honing a brand whether you accept that you are or not yeah yeah because you have followers who then you have followers you also have a very probably different private persona than to your public you know yeah um that's like ultimately what my first show that I did in London this charming man was about was about like all these dudes that I would see, you know, out and about on town, they'd be like, eh. and then I'd get them in their homes and photograph them. And they were like, like insanely different. They were mm. so different than they were um, in real life. And I think, I think that that always like, you know, as a younger woman, I think that always had like stumped me. I'd always be like, why can't, because I always feel like I present the same way. Like, the way I'm with you mm. is the way I was with Obama. The way I was with Obama is the way I'm with my mom. Like, it's just like, I don't, I don't shift. So I think mm. I'm always very interested in people who are able to do that and, and people who are able to do that for sales or people who are able to do mm. that for love. And like, there's just, I find it, I find it so intriguing, you know, how you can mm-hmm. bend yourself to fit into different boxes, but in order to like make some sort of impact. You know, I think you should read Doppelganger because it's kind of a, a lot about how that dual impulse has like become increasingly like prevalent in our culture and society yeah. on a lot of levels. I've only just started reading it. As I said, it arose from this personal dilemma she had, but she uses she uses the concept to like explore this, you know, going back to what we were saying right at the beginning, like sort of house of mirrors that we live in culturally now across the board where you've got the image and then the reality and whatever that means, whether it's politically or so I think that that's like a real prevalent thing in our culture. You want to it early. What can you say? I mean, shapes ones always. Excuses always. Um, <laughs> um, before I let you go back to your LA quote unquote winter day, um, did you have a moment to think about any books? That, I mean, you've you've mentioned a lot of artists, which who I feel like have a lot of great books. But what what's kind of like role does reading play in your life? Do you do you like a do you like a word yeah. as much as an image? I do. I mean, I, I I learned to read super early. I went to um, Montessori, and I think that you know they're like, "What do you want to do today?" And I was like, "I want to learn to read." Like I learned <laughs> to read super early, and I'm two, um, and I want to read. <laughs> Yeah, I hundred percent. I was like, I read, and I think that I was, I was, I see kids now who are like, they walk and read, you know. Like I'm like, right. I was that kid. Like I always had yeah. a book on me. Yeah. I I stay with a book. 
Um, and I've also been doing audiobooks. Like I'm reading three at once now. I've never been that person before where I can like, but it's, I think it's the LA where you're like in a car and you're like, okay, I'll just put on this book. This like short story jam. Um, 100%. You have to switch yeah. it up as well in LA because my audio intake like massively increased when I lived in LA because yeah. I was always in my car and I was often on my own. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So there was a lot more time to like, and I had to really, I was, I mean, I don't listen to audio books, but the one period of my life I was doing it was when I was in LA. Yeah. Pod, it's when I started listening to podcasts before they were trendy and an insane amount of music. Anyway, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but I think. I hear you on the, you need, you need options. You need audio you need options. options in LA. <laughs> you need audio options. Um, I've had like, in the past few years, I've had like a few beautiful moments with books. So one, um, Justin, I think, you know, Justin, who works for DLX, um, he did this um, like book club where like you sent out one book and then like, all these other people sent you books mm, and I had the most amazing books sent to me from like random strangers you know they were like yeah hey, but you know and I'm still actually get I think I got like 40 books oh wow I think I'm still like cycling through that and you know I got yeah. like someone sent me like Anthony Bourdain's like a uh, biography like I'm like there's like a whole Back of them, right to the right of me. I'm just looking. There's like still so many that I haven't gotten to. I mean, forty um, books is a lot of books to get through. It's a lot, but one that I really, really, truly loved was Michael Turner's um, "The Pornographer's Poem." Never heard I of never it. would have picked this book up at all, and it was mm. insane. Um, I have way too many books to do. Like this was one, like Vanishing Half by um, Britt Bennett. I Buster. love that book. Um, oh my god! Why am I? Do you have forgetting? a favorite photography book? Oh, photography book! I have a billion of them. No, I'm sure. But I'm like, is there one that you find yourself reaching or you've over the years reached for more than others or one that just sticks out in your mind? I'm going to go with um, Ben Watts's Big Up. Okay. I think, I think because it comes from a time, it's a lot of his work from like Trace. It's a lot of his like editorial work, outtakes. Um, and it's always inspired me because it's, and also there's like a bunch of people I know in it, you know, it's like old mm. New York. It's, it's like nineties, New York. Um, it's a lot of portraiture. It's like, I think maybe some of it four by five, two and a quarter. Um, I don't know. I've always loved it. I've always just loved the style of it. It's like rough and raw. He was a trace photographer. I think, I think a chunk of the work in that book is from trace and, I forgot what other, it's like a bunch of editorial work of his. Oh, it's nice. I'm looking at it now. I interned at Trace. Yeah. That was the first thing I ever do did when I first came to New York. That's why I was like. Me too. I also interned at Trace. Did you? When wow. it was in New York. Yeah. It was on Broom Street. Yes. Damn. Yes. What a time. I know. 
I know. Um, yeah, I loved it. Trace was great. I was interning at Trace and Paper at the same time. I needed both. Good times. I needed both in in my life. So mm. yeah. Um, I'm gonna let you go, Shaniqua, because you're a busy woman. She wins always. She's got places to go. She's got people to meet. She's got pop culture got icons walk, to focus on. Walk to take. <laughs> yeah. Oh God, yeah. Essential walks. <laughs> it's where you don't see any people. No, nope, um, not at all. Not at all. Actually, I got a very I, like. I was going to say I knew the cacti on my walk very well when I lived in LA. <laughs> it's just me and the cacti. I was going to say that my um, I think maybe before I moved in to our spot it wasn't like super walk walker like there weren't a lot of walkers but now i see so many people walking it's cute that's interesting that's, i wonder yeah, what changed i i think it's the people who've moved here where they're like oh this is like mm. you're supposed to walk this na- like it's all nature like why not oh well i hope i can come and have a walk with you in your neighborhood i mean eventually I love I a walk. So I mean, oh, well, I'll be back. Maybe you'll move here again. No, no, not not no, not no. It's it's you know? starting to appeal. I think I've, like you said, back in life, it it goes in circles, right? It does. You will circle back. Yeah. Um. Thank you again for making the time. Appreciate no you. Doubt. Love you very much, and proud of you, you always. Thank you.